Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. So, bit of context. We're going to dive into the scripture, but uh, and we're reading from one King, First Kings, nineteen, verse one to ten. Now, a bit of uh, just a bit of comp, man. This stage is kind of squeaking. I just won't stand there. Um, bit of context. So this is in the Old Testament. Hands up if you've got a Bible here tonight. Well done. Your chances of going to heaven are even higher. You're doing well. You're already winning. Um, I'm kidding, by the way. Um, but we're going to read from First Kings. And the context of this biblical account is that um, this is based on the, the kingdom of Israel. And there's a prophet called Elijah, not to be confused with Elisha. Okay, Elijah, and this guy's the prophet of God, and, and, and the context is that the, the whole country's kind of gone out of its mind, like it's gone a little bit whack, it's gone a little bit off the, off the course, and there's a king called Ahab, and he's a bit of a wicked king. Everyone say boo, boo. I'm just testing that your mouths work. And uh, King Ahab is married to a... Uh, bit of a cow. Her name's Jezebel. And uh, I went there. See, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to like prod at you to actually make you annoyed so that you're going to engage with this message. She was a bit of a cow. Her name was Jezebel. And boo. Moo. Moo. <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are onto it tonight. It's good. And essentially the context is that Elijah gets um, called by God to go and confront this king and this evil lady called Jezebel. And they're, they're worshipping this crazy false god called Baal. Baal, not a sheep, Baal. And, uh, and they're, they're like this child sacrifices, there's all this weird stuff happening. Like it's just out of, like, it's out of the box. It's just, it's wrong. And so Elijah, he confronts the king, he confronts Jezebel and all the false prophets and he says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a standoff, like a, like a duel, like, oh, Western duel, pull out my revolver. No, no, he didn't do that. They didn't have guns in that time, like sticks and spears and stuff. But um, he's like, we're going to have a duel. And, and, the, and, the, and the, 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 the team whose God answers with fire, that is, that's how we know that, that that God is the true living God. And so there's a standoff on this mountain. It's like this epic biblical, like, it's just a scene, right? It's a scene. And so on one side, you have Elijah and his offering. On the other side, you have the false prophets and their offering. And these guys are like, these guys are sweating bullets. Like, they're, they're, they're trying their hardest. They're doing the most. They're like, they're, they're cutting themselves. They're crying out to their false God, but nothing's happening. And Elijah's just standing there and he's like, He's laughing his head off and he's roasting these guys because he knows that nothing's going to happen. And then the audacity of this man, he, he pours water over the offering and he prays a simple prayer to God and pff, the offering's consumed by fire from heaven. And it's this amazing scene. And so in our passage, this, is, this happened, we picked this up right after that moment. And so in 1 Kings 19, it's on the screen, we're going to read it together. It goes like this. When Ahab, that's the, that's the evil king, Boo, right, the evil guy, got home, he told Jezebel, Moo, everything Elijah had done. 
including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel, I like this. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as I killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Fair enough. He went to Beersheba, a town, that's where they drink a lot of beer. No, I'm kidding. Um, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on, to, went on, this is the key part. He went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He's, he's gone right into the wilderness. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. This is a bit of a picture. Get this. Not only is he alone, he's in the wilderness, and he's found a tree that's also alone, and he's sitting under the tree. That's a lonely picture right there, right? He's sitting under the solitary broom tree, pray that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. He's depressed. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him on the shoulder and said, well, maybe not the shoulder, but let's just go with that, and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. First key, never underestimate the power of carbs in a good nap. Okay? I'm preaching to someone tonight, all right? Let's keep reading. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. The food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a good meal. That is a nice meal. To Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Next verse. The Lord spoke to Elijah and the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? What, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. Get this. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So he's alone. He's left his servant. He's fled. He's under the broom tree. He's isolated, and he says, I am the only one left. There's no one else. Is there no one else? It's just me. I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling sorry for myself. They're trying to kill me too. Now, I don't know if you can relate to this account, but I, I think we all go through seasons in life where if we're not intentional, we can become like Elijah as well. That we can be doing the work, doing the damage, doing the business. But somewhere along the way, we, we allow ourselves to become isolated and separated and distant. And, and I remember this time actually when I was in Wellington. I lived in Wellington for five years. It's a great city. Weather's not great, but that's okay. And um, I was doing an internship at a great church up there. And through my second year, man, I could really relate to Elijah's story because I was, I was in a place where um, I was doing, I was working hard, I was giving out, I was, I was, I was really giving it my best, um, but I was just, I was isolated. I was living with my youth pastor at the time, and uh, how many people know living with your boss is just an interesting situation, and uh, shout out to the Hockendikes, and, um, 
And there was that dynamic and I was broke. I didn't have any money and I didn't have transport and we lived kind of a, a wee way out. And so I would just come home from work and I would just kind of go into my room and just hang out and whatever, just kind of just on my own buzz. And I went, I, this kind of went on for a few months and so I got to the end of the year and we had like a bit of a break and I was, I was so exhausted. Like I needed one of those meals. Like I was feeling so like, so drained, so isolated, so depressed. And I, I just didn't really know what to do. I had made a commitment to God that I was going to do three years of this internship. I was only just through my second. I was like, ah, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know if I have what it takes. Like, I just feel just a bit down, just a bit isolated. And so what happened was I talked to a few people and I just prayed. I said, God, like, would you give me, like, would you, like, open up a flat? Like, I want to move out of this place where I'm at. Would you open up a flat and just give me some real awesome friends that I can just do life with and journey with? And sure enough, a few weeks later, um, one of my friends, he, he, a spot opened up in his flat, and it was this amazing flat, this apartment just down the road from the beach. And we were, it was great. And uh, we were just, we were hanging out, and it was, it was amazing. Like, I was connected to these boys. Like, some of these guys are still, like, some of my best friends to this day. Yeah. And we made the best memories. We, how many people have those friends where you're like, you can just sit down and yarn for hours and you just do stupid stuff and you act like total weirdos, but it's all good because you're weirdos without judging each other. And we just made these amazing, amazing, incredible memories. And that year was just one of the best years ever. I still look back on that. I'm like, that was so cool. And, and the shift happened when in the second year I was isolated, I was depressed, I was alone. I felt like Elijah. The third year, I made one simple decision. And that simple decision changed my whole life. Like it made my life so much better. That simple decision was that I'm going to start prioritizing and valuing life-giving relationship. I'm, I'm not going to allow myself to become isolated. In fact, as a believer, being in isolation is not an option. It's not an option. We need to see the signs before it happens. I was, I was a little bit too late. But I came back into life-giving relationship and my whole life improved. Now, you can go... Rel oh, there goes the stage. I didn't fire, I promise. Um, you, can go as far, you can go as far as you want and you can go so far alone, but you're only going to go so far. What you need to realize is that we are so much better together. We are so much better together. In fact, we exist as a church to bring people into life-giving relationship with God and with other people, with a creator and a community. And, you know, I see so many people, maybe there's a few in this room, that you're just kind of, you're on your own buzz. Like, you, I read that story of Elijah, and you're like, man, that kind of feels like me. And how many people know when you're isolated, small problems become really big problems. You just lose perspective. In fact, it says, just later on in that passage, he said, I'm the only one. And then God's like, no, 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 no. I've saved 7,000 that haven't bent the knee. 7,000. Surely there must have been a friend that he could have made in that crew. And so he was alone. He was isolated. He lost all perspective. I see so many people like this. They walk through life. And for whatever reason, they get too busy. They're just on their own buzz. They don't want to, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of show up but never really show up. 
Like they'll dip a toe in, but they'll never take the plunge. They're always on the fringes. They kind of just harden back here. Just, just kind of looking on, making their observations, making their critiques. And there's so many people living in isolation. I just want to let you know that in the kingdom, there are no lone rangers. There are no lone rangers. That's not an option. And, and, and these people are living alone. They, they, they're, they're isolated. They're distanced. They're disenfranchised. They're on the fringe. And in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, this is what it says. It's on the screen. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. How many people know we've got an enemy? We do have an enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When I hear this, I just think of like those David Attenborough nature documentaries. Oh yes, and the lion risen for the attack, preying on the weak and the isolated cattle and the wildebeest, dragging it to its death. And stop it. You guys are too kind. And, uh, and, and if I was a lion, if I was the enemy, if I was, if I was the devil, that is exactly the strategy I would take because it's easy pickings. The devil can only attack people, really, that are isolated, separated from the pack, on their own buzz. Oh, watering hole, the pack's gone. Oh, yeah. Nah, unless, nah, unless. Oh, okay, and boom, the lion gets him. And it's so much like that with our lives, is that the, the, the lion, can he can devour those that are isolated, those that are disenfranchised for whatever reason, those at a distance from community. And the quickest way into a life of hopelessness, depression, and emptiness like I experienced for a season is to allow yourself to become isolated, to stop valuing relationships and try go it alone. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, there's nothing more beautiful and more unstoppable and more fulfilling for everyone involved than when believers live in harmony with each other. We are better and we're stronger together, amen? So in the remaining few minutes that I have, how do we intentionally pursue this life of togetherness instead of independence and, and isolation? How do we make sure that we never fall into that trap? Well, I believe that the first decision that we must make, if you're taking notes, it's on the screen. The first decision we must make is that we must be people of connection. We have to choose to be people of connection. Connection is the ability to find the middle ground. It's, it's, it's how we relate with other people. True connection happens when two or more people open themselves up and allow themselves to be known. That's risky. To truly know people takes a decision to step out of your self-absorbed bubble, which we often like to reside in, and show a genuine interest in someone else. It's not that hard. I like to say that the playing field of true connection is genuine interest in other people. You're never going to connect if you're in your own world. In the letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes this, Philippians 2.4, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's very simple. That's very powerful. Don't look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. John Maxwell, the, I just heard a yawn. I need to preach better. Um, thank you. Um, John Maxwell, the well-known leadership guru, author, and speaker says, connection is all about others. 
It's all about others. You know, I was speaking to a young lady the other day and she was kind of looking for a job, trying to get work, wasn't really, couldn't really make it happen. And she's been serving well, serving amazingly in our kids' ministry. And I basically just sat down and we said, hey, look, like, I really want to help you get a job. Like, I really believe that God's got a job for you. And so we're just going to sit down and we're going to look at your CV and we're going to rejig it, change a few things, make it look pretty, and, and then you're going to get a job. And so we sat down for maybe half an hour and I read through it, I was like, ah, I don't really know about this. Like if I was an employer, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be overwhelmed. I wouldn't be like, yo, let's hire this person. Because it was kind of like, this is what I need, this is what I want, this is what I can do, etc. And, and so what I did is we just sat down, we recrafted the CV. And I said basically this, I said, the quickest and easiest way to get a job is to not think like an employee, is to think like an employer. If you think like an employer, you're going to be saying all the right things because you're going to be saying things employers want to hear. What do employers want? They want someone that's re- reliable, that's trustworthy, that's, that's um, going to show up, that is capable to do the job. And so we rejigged the CV. Literally, she hadn't been able to find work. A week later, she's been handing out these CVs, three job interviews. I found out last night she just got a job within two weeks. Two weeks. And praise God for that. But it's just a very simple shift. It wasn't that she wasn't doing the right thing. It's that she had the wrong approach. So many people come to church or just do life, and they want, it, they want everyone to be interested in them. This is, this is good. Listen to this. She stopped making it about herself and started making it about other people. This is the fundamental key to building great relationships in business, in ministry, in school, in uni, wherever you are, make it about the other person. The best conversations that you're ever going to have are when you're trying to be interested instead of interesting. Just try it, man. Start asking questions. I I chatted to this dude the other day at this function, and he's like a wealthy business owner. He's like in data science, like different worlds, man. And I just made like a conscious effort. I'm like, I'm just going to show an interest. I'm just going to ask him about stuff. This guy starts yapping away for like 45 minutes. I can't shut the dude up. Like Jess had to come and grab me and like pull me away because I was like, mean. And he was like, he was just beaming. He was so excited about what he was talking about because he was talking about himself. (laughs) Try to be interested, not just interesting. That's how you make great friendships. We're going to move on. The second decision that we have to make is to be people of consistency. People of consistency. In Hebrews 10, 25, this is in the Passion Translation. This is what it says. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. This is encouraging for me in a number of ways. Um, Firstly, it's just funny to think that in the first century, they struggled with flaky church attendance. And uh, that's just funny to me that Paul had to address that publicly to the Hebrews. And, um, you know, I, I, I like my Christians like I like my pastry. The less flaky, the better, am I right? The less flaky, the better. Now, on average, most Christians only come to church once every three weeks. 
for whatever reason, they're just too busy. But my question is, are you too busy or do you just have the wrong priorities? Do you just have the wrong priorities? Like, let's not get this mixed up. What we prioritize, we're going to make time for. And um, look, if we want to step into everything that God has for us, we need to master the art of showing up. Even when it's lame, even when it's boring and we didn't get much out of it, let's just show up. You never know what's going to happen in church. We need, to be in, we need to be in consistent, life-giving community. It's not about ticking a religious box by attending church. No one's going to hand out a medal because you attended church 50% of the time. This is, this is, this is for you. This is, this is for God. This is for the community. It's about doing life together, contributing to the mission, and allowing yourself to be known. That's going to take consistency. And as the band comes, my final point, we need to be people of collaboration. People of collaboration. You know, the word collaboration comes from two words, collaborare, which means to work together. That's very simple. That sounded really exotic, but it's really simple. Um, collaborare. Whoa. Um, it's very simple to work together. First Corinthians 3.9, we are co-workers with God and you are God's cultivated garden, the house he is building. Forget off-white and Nike for the shoe fanatics out there. We're in a far greater collaboration. We're in a collab with God. That's pretty sweet. That's a pretty sweet deal. We get to partner with God and see amazing things happen. There is a compounding effect that happens when we begin working with other people. We just start making moves. We start considering other people. We start working together, joining forces. Many hands make light work. In Leviticus 26, 8, it says five of you will chase 100. See the math here. 100 of you will chase 10,000. That's exponential increase and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. We can achieve exponentially more if we could just learn how to work with other people. We could be team players. Stephen Covey, author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People says this, dependent people need others to get what they want. That's powerless. Independent people can get what they want through their own effort. And interdependent people, not independent or dependent, interdependent, which means it's give and take. I'm bringing something to this equation. I'm receiving something back. Combine their own efforts with the efforts of others to achieve their greatest success. Their greatest success. If you can dream your dream alone, it is far too small. Way too small. God is a big God. He's given you big plans. If you knew what was in you and what was ahead of you, you would be very, very willing to collaborate because the journey is way too long. The burden's way too heavy for you to be walking alone. If you want to do anything significant in your lifetime, it's going to take time and it's going to take team. 1 Samuel 14, 1-7. We're going to finish with this. This is the, this is the um, account of Jonathan. I think it's on the screen here. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearers, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. He didn't tell daddy. Saul was staying, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gebeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. 
A lot of interesting names here. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, who was son of Ichabod's brother Ahitab. Man, this is a mouthful. I'm doing well. Son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, the other Senar. One cliff stood to the north, the other to the south. Let's go to the next verse. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. This is the clincher. You know, this right here, I believe, is the catch cry of, of someone who's willing to collaborate, someone who's willing to get behind someone else, someone who's willing to put his own agenda to the side for the greater good. This is what his armor bearer says. He says, go ahead. Do, he says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I'm with you, heart and soul. What he could have said was, this is a, this is a dumb plan. You're an idiot, Jonathan. What are you doing? You're trying to go over the pass, climb a cliff. You're undefended. You're probably going to die. He doesn't say that. He doesn't, he doesn't err on the side of criticism. He errs on the side of faith. And he says, you know what? Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. And you know what? If we actually want to make a difference in this city, if we actually want to do something of significance and actually bring about the change that needs to happen, not just should happen or could happen, but must happen, we need to begin to collaborate. We need to begin to collaborate. Too many people are sitting back here and going, ah, I'm sort of with you, but I got no skin in the game. I'm just gonna kind of criticize and add my two cents, but good luck to you. When Gideon and Catherine say like, we're gonna bring revival to a city, we have lost our right to stand back here and criticize what God's doing. Come on, I'm a bit excited about this. We have lost the right to criticize what God's doing, but instead say, instead say I'm gonna collaborate. I'm not gonna criticize, I'm gonna collaborate. If your criticism is beyond your level of contribution, you've gone too far. When Gideon and Catherine say, come on, revival is coming. We can do this. God is on the move. That is not the time to sit back, but that's the time to say, you know what? I'm with you, heart and soul heart and soul. Are you guys excited about that tonight? Come on, why don't we stand to our feet? Why don't we stand to our feet? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, there's a city that needs you, all of you, all of us, and a lot more. There's a city that needs you. There's a city that needs me. We need to begin to work together. We're so much better together. So much better together. Elijah wishing, wished he knew it when he got stuck in that cave. Tonight, you might feel like you're in a bit of a cave emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually. But there's an invitation to do life together, to reject isolation and come into a, a place of belonging, come into a place of connection, consistency, collaboration. I really believe that the greatest move of God is just around the corner. And we can either stand back and watch or we can participate and experience it. So what I want to do right now is just to be real cute. I just love everyone to just link, link shoulders, link arms with the person next to you. And I'm just going to pray for you guys. Because I really believe this is a critical moment. 
I know it's a bit awkward, but come on. And then it's like, who's, whose arm goes over, who under, oh, work with me. Well, I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we're going to sing the song of worship just a few times. Because I believe that we are so much better together. I believe we're so much stronger together. I believe that we can do so, so, so much more when we lock arms, when we lock shields and say, you know what, I got your back. You got mine, you got mine, I got yours, you got mine too. Let's do this thing. So I'm just going to pray for all of us right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, I just thank you for this incredible family that you died for, that you died for your church, that Christ in his fullness is head plus body, not just head, as body as well. We need the whole community. We can't be on our own buzz, and we don't want to, Lord God. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just stir in people's hearts a fresh desire to do life with each other, a fresh desire to find belonging, a fresh desire to, to um, work together, to put aside the ego and in humility serve each other. And so I just declare right now we're knitting together, Lord God, of this community. I pray for all the people that are going to come through these doors into this community over the next few months, many, that they would find a place of belonging. They would find a place of connection. That we'd be, be consistent people. That we'd be committed. And that we'd be able to collaborate, Lord God, to see your will done in this city, Lord God. And wherever we go, Thank you, Jesus.